Good afternoon. Welcome to Newsbreak Talk with me, Taresh Hari Prashad. Another riveting discussion planned for you today. One that has sparked global outcry and global criticism. The rape of an eight-year-old girl was um, has has put India onto tenterhooks. The incident, as we understand it, was that of an eight-year-old Muslim girl who was raped and murdered in Kashmir's Katwa district. This happened in January last year, but details fully emerged recently. And last week, eight men accused of the involvement in the crime appeared in court. Well, I want to get the full official facts, and who better than our Indian correspondent Rana Sen to give us the details of this particular case. Let's go live to him now. He's joining us from New Delhi. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Rana. Good afternoon, Yes, Rana, I think, uh, help us understand, I mean, I think at this stage, many of us already have been following this case and we understand the dynamics of it, but put it into perspective for us so we know what facts we're dealing with here. Talk to us about the incident, you know, really what transpired. Well, it's, it's pretty well known now that uh, this uh, girl, we can't take her name because of legal uh, reasons. She belonged to a nomadic tribe, which was uh, nomadic Muslim tribe, which roams around uh, in uh, Kashmir, the vicinity foragers. And she was killed first. She was abducted, held captive in a Hindu temple, and gang raped by eight Hindu men over a period of seven days before she was strangled and battered to death with a stone under a bridge. The reason for the attack on this, this horrific attack on this young girl was a communal had a communal agenda. This was, was this was the killing was a message to the nomadic tribes to leave a Hindu dominated region in, in in the Jammu division of Kashmir state. And that's why it makes it so heinous. Now, now, I want to ask you. I, I want to ask you on the confirmation of this, and you know, specifically with regard to the charge sheet. You know, what was described as the motive for this heinous crime? Yes, the motive, as I have explained, that the motive was to send the message to the nomadic tribes to leave the area. That was the uh, that was the modus operandi. That was the message they wanted to send through to them. Mm. And talk to me about the court case. We understand that this matter has gone to court. What is the latest with regard to this? Well, the next hearing will be held sometime next week now. Um, but then that's, that's a very junior level uh, court. The, the police or the prosecutors, you may say, they have to present the charge sheet within three months as per the earlier penal court. But things have changed since then, since yesterday. And they'll be heard there if they're found guilty, they'll, uh, they'll be sent to prison. But the Indian laws are such that they will definitely appeal the ruling and it will be shifted to an appellate court, a higher court. And we'll keep on uh, traveling up to, until the Supreme Court is divorced or so on. Hmm. And we understand that public anger has been at an all-time high since this case and, and it led to many protests across India. Talk to me about these protests. The very the very nature of this crime was so revolting that it was not just uh, it, it was it was just not a political protest. It cut across the lines. It was school students, businessmen, doctors, journalists, you, you name it, and they have protested. They have said Indian society is now been pushed into a very dangerous arena where children are, are being used for for communal games. So it, it was much more, it, it had a much more deeper meaning, this protest, than the 2012, I think the pardon protest mm, we mm, saw, leaving yeah. the fatal murder, rape and murder of a Delhi uh, medical student in a moving bus by five men. Yeah. You know, as the motive has been determined to be, you know, a political movement or, a, or, or almost a, a communal uh, statement being sent to these, uh, to, you know, to, to the uh, inhabitants of the Katwa district against a Muslim girl and, and, and that community, uh, a minority Muslim community in that Hindu area. What has been the reaction from politicians, specifically Prime Minister Narendra Modi? The Narendra Modi government woke up this murder, uh, the rape and murder four months after it was committed. In fact, the Kashmir state, I must, must clarify here, is ruled in, in a, by a coalition government of a local a party called the PDP, People's Democratic Party, and Modi's Bharatiya Janata Party or the BJP party. 
Now, in fact, the BGP people in Kashmir, they held a Hindu unity rally in support of the rapists. Two of state ministers were sent out by the BJP. They have themselves confessed now to um, sort of whip up a frenzy among Hindus that Hindus were being persecuted. They have, to, they have been forced to resign. The prime minister did not say a word for four months until last week when he said that a rape is a rape. It should not be communalized. But his own party was communalizing it. So that's the irony of this particular crime, and that's what makes it so revolting and heinous. Talk to me about the reaction to this, Rana. We spoke about community reaction on the ground to the heinous crime and the nature of it. But when you talk about the political dynamic of this, you know, what has been the reaction, I think even globally, to the fact that, you know, you have a particular type of government. And as we understand, the, BJ, uh, the BJP, largely based on that Hindu nationalist movement, um, you know, being quite mum about this incident, what has been the reaction to that? Well, there have been all round condemnation from various political groups, the, the, the centrist groups, the socialist groups, the left or center groups, the communist parties, they have all in one voice, they have condemned this attack, saying that this was pushing Indian democracy into deep peril. If this, this kind of cases happen, then there will be no end to it. And especially we have national elections coming up in less than a year away, in May next year, but, uh, almost a year away, in April, May next year. Rana, I think we'll have to leave it there with you. That important point I think you left us with, pushing Indian democracy into great peril. Our correspondent Rana Sen giving us you know, the details and the facts with regard to this particular case. Of course, it's um, being seen as more than just a rape in India. So I think that becomes a very important issue to dissect. I still took it forward and I wanted to speak to an organization on the ground in India who works with, with um, issues of sexual violence while the under tones of this particular act um, is of a political nature and we are going to dissect that when we you know cross to our next guest in a short while but the very issue of rape being used in an in India which itself has faced a great sense of criticism with regard to rape following that brutal gang rape in 2012 of a doctor um, it has really underscored and highlighted the issue of the susceptibility of women um, in India whether it is from a perverse rape perspective or even a tense political perspective. So I made contact with Shruti, Dr. Shruti Kapoor. She's the founder of Safety. This organization was launched after the uh, brutal gang rape of, um, you know, the movement was called the Rape of Nirbhaya at that stage. Of course, that doctor was um, gang raped on a bus in India, in Delhi in 2012. And that case, you know, garnered international attention and subsequently the culprits were given the death penalty. So we spoke to Shruti and we're going to be, um, you know, providing her analysis on the topic throughout the broadcast. We asked her firstly, what was the situation on the ground with regard to this particular case and then to expand it and tell us how rape has continued to rear its ugly head in the space of India. This is Dr. Shruti Kapoor. She's the founder of Safety, an NGO in India that provides advocacy work for sexual for victims of sexual violence. Well, there has been a global outcry in the tragedy of this eight-year-old child. What has been the sentiment in India? When the Nirbhaya gang rape case happened in 2012, um, you know, India took to the streets. Um, thousands and thousands of people were marching on the street. They were protesting. They were angry. Um, they demanded change. They demanded answers from the government. At that point, I personally felt that um, it was a turning point in the movement of women and girls' safety. But unfortunately, over time, things died out. The the outpour died out. The anger died out. And um, it is unfortunate that the ground reality did not change. Um, as of 2017, about 40,000 rape cases um, have been registered in India. So the recent gang rape cases of girls as young as eight year old they are an unfortunate event, turn of events in India. It is extremely shameful that uh, it's almost like a deja vu. It's almost like we are witnessing history repeat itself through these gang rape cases. 
and uh, once again there is um, extreme frustration anger outburst outpour people are marching on the streets people are demanding change people are raising voices against these recent gang rapes of of young girls um, and and i think while all the outpour outcry is is um, extremely important it is extremely important for the people to come forward to come onto the streets and demand action of the governments of the judiciary system of the legal system um but in a way also feel like it's history repeating itself we uh, we have seen this happen in 2012 when when ms jyoti singh was gang raped and and we are seeing it again now 5 years later and it's not like these um these cases are unique you know uh, these are the the cases that have been brought uh, in front of the world through media there are hundreds of other cases which go unreported like this um in in india today where girls are gang raped where they are brutally abused and eventually killed where women and girls um are gang raped but we never hear about them and and so i'm extremely frustrated with the state of affairs um when it comes to women and girls safety our government does an extremely shoddy job um at at changing things um yes there are laws but um unfortunately the laws are not implemented well they are not implemented efficiently and quick enough um there the perpetrators often um uh, commit these crimes because they know that in our indian judicial system it takes decades to get any kind of justice so- Dr. Shruti Kapoor, founder of Safety, an organization that speaks out and provides advocacy work against issues of sexual violence. Well, there you go. This is, I think, the backdrop of our conversation, and uh, we are going to expand our conversation now. Before we go to the phone lines, and I want to now connect with Dr. Ruchi Chaturvedi. She is a senior lecturer in sociology at the University of Cape Town. Dr. Chaturvedi, thanks very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Okay Dr. Dilwedi I think we have a situation here you know as as we've described it and painted the pictures to where we stand you have a a, a, a brutal gang rape of an 8 year old muslim girl from a minority community in the Jammu Kashmir area this has been the responsibility for this has been claimed by uh, hindus as we understand a group of hindus in that space as a as 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 a message to drive out this community from that area you know help me understand your social understanding of what is unfolding when you look at a case like this uh so you know at one point uh, in your uh, opening statement uh you sort of pointed out how this is a case of perversity and rape and at the same time it is a political act i think it's very important as i say to think of rape when you say call it a perverse act or a sexual act it's always a political act we know that the patriarchal ideology that that condones violence against women or makes uh women easy targets is also a certain kind of a politics that is or a power play that is carried out against women now on top of that if there is already uh, a power play in society which makes uh, young women older women different you know vulnerable uh, vulnerable groups you have a situation in india where minorities have have for a long period of time they have been under the you know they have uh, they have been threatened in different kinds of ways they've been marginalized in different kinds of ways and since uh, the rise of hindu nationalism it's uh, you know really like it, it's a very old ideology the organizations associated with are extremely old but in the 1980s and 1990s it starts gaining a certain kind of a powerful force and after 2014 after becoming the power of this particular government there's been numerous there's been increasing amounts of marginalization now they had cow you know lynchings in the names of cow protection and these cases uh, we've had almost like we've had lots of you know, since 2014 i can give you some figures if that would be helpful so in 2012 uh, in 2012 before the government came to power there was one such lynching 
2013, also one such lynching. In 2014, after uh, the present government comes to power, there are three. In 2015, that number increases to 12. Then there is, uh, in 2016, it becomes 24. And in 2017, we had 37 such cases of attacks in the name of cow protection. So, uh, and at the same time, like, you know, if you've had cow protection or vigilante groups doing this kind of violence against Muslim men, Muslim young women are also similarly becoming targets of increased amounts of violence. So that's sort of the, the, you know, the political backdrop in which this is all happening. Mm. And I think it just unfolds greatly when now, when you now have you know marginalized communities you know bearing the brunt of it in this way. Help me understand the kind of criticism leveled against from a global social perspective on this kind of um, I think propagation of a particular uh, ideology that suits a majority in a country, which and then oppresses a minority. Sure. Yeah. You know, India has a very checkered history. Unfortunately. Uh, when we got independence in 1947, that was a terrible moment where you had huge amounts of violence inflicted by members of Hindu and Muslim communities on each other. And women became the targets. There were close to 100,000 women who were abducted uh, forcibly. There were incredible amounts of rape. And at that point, that too, I mean, you know, that's where we have to think about women's bodies in, in this uh, in this context, at that point, too, women were mutilated, raped, uh, and women's bodies were literally embossed with political slogans. So you had women being raped and their bodies like having slogans as uh, Jai Hind or you know Hail India and or Pakistan uh, Murdabad uh, or Pakistan Zindabad. So you know you had these kind of things where women were, were made a certain kind of target. Now, India is a Hindu-majority country. For most part, at least in terms of official ideology, it has tried to sort of be a country where different kinds of communities live together in relative peace and harmony. That's not always been possible. But uh, side by side, as since from the early, 19, uh, early 1900s, even going back to the late, late 1800s, you had the emergence of an ideology which necessarily always saw India as a Hindu nation, above everything as a Hindu nation, where everybody else, all communities, should be below the Hindu nation, or but below I, the but, Hindu but, but that's, that's a flawed understanding, and that's a flawed assumption then, because India exists in the form of a democracy. It exists in the form of a democracy, but you know, when democracy, as you know, is uh, a numbers game at the end of the day. And you can whip up emotions of people and say, you know, yes, we must become this Hindu nation. And, and if it's a majority community, uh, the numbers are going to then sort of translate into the votes that, it, that the government gets. That having been said, the BJP has come to power only, I don't remember the exact percentage, but it's about in the mid-30% votes. But we have a first-past-the-post system, they got majority seats, and they are what we call a majoritarian party. And a majoritarian party is a party that says a majority is not just going to rule, but it's going to be an, you know, almost like an authoritarian form of rule of the majority. Mm. So that's the kind of democracy yeah, yeah. that we're looking and at. And I, I think that leads to exactly the next question then. Where does it leave minority groups, minority religious or cultural groups in India? It leaves them in a very uh, precarious place. It not just leaves minority groups in a precarious place, it also leaves people who don't agree with this vision of India. Many, many, many thousands and millions of Hindus who do not agree with this vision of India. In the wake of this case, very interestingly, there has been groups uh, that have emerged outside of India and within India that call themselves progressive Hindu groups who want to deny you know, who do not want to, who do not subscribe to this form of uh, political ideology. So both minorities as well as Hindus and Christians and others and people of the lower caste uh, who are sort of vulnerable uh, groups in India, they have been uh, trying to mobilize, they've been trying to draw attention, and I think this particular case has really, as your correspondent described, rallied uh, the country against uh, against this majoritarian ideology.
We're in conversation today with Dr. Ruchi Chaturvedi, a senior lecturer in sociology at uh, the UCT. She's on the line with us and she's helping us understand this, I think, political dynamic behind this brutal case of rape that took place in India. It's time now to go to the phone lines. You've understood exactly what we're dealing with here, what we're discussing. I'd love to know your thoughts on this particular issue and how it actually affects you. You yourself live in a democracy and whether you um, have an ideology that is aligned to the majority of, of, of South Africans or the minority of South Africans, it is un- important to understand what something that affects you know, India, as it is known, the greatest, biggest democracy, and the impact it has for you as a South African who also lives in a democratic space. So we'd love to hear from you. It's 089-310-8789. News break talk with me, Taresh Hari Pashad. We are discussing this tragic case of a, of a rape of an eight-year-old girl in India and, and think we are unpacking this within its social and political uh, manifestation. You know, Dr. Chaturvedi, you earlier um, alluded to the way rape was used as a you know means of oppression, as a means of um, political you know attack. Um, I did speak to a Shruti, Dr. Shruti Kapoor, the founder of Safety, on that very point, and I think it's interesting to... Um, to talk about that in a short while but I think we've got a call coming through so we'll go to the phone lines first before we play you that particular point that uh, Dr. Kapoor had raised. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. So let's go to the phone lines. We have D Singh on the line. Hello. 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 I'm phoning from Ladysmith. My name is D Singh. Yes. And I'd like to contribute to I see you've got a debate on the rapes that take place in India. Yes. Yeah, and go uh, ahead. Yeah, the, the, you see what my thing is, the, the, the Modi government, yeah. which I'm talking about, the BJP government, mm. together with the likes of Amit Shah, Ravi Shankar Parsad, Jaitley, Professor Sina, and then there's a lady also in the RSS, Gita, her name is. And mm. there's another lawyer who always appears on TV, who I can't remember, yeah. who are heavily influenced by the RSS. And the RSS is led by Mr. Bhagwat, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and they are the main com- culprits when it comes to the savage rape and onslaught of the community of India. Mm. The BJP's and RSS caste and communal policies has unfortunately to, uh, targeted the Dalits, the Muslims, the Kashmiris. The, the, the you know the important thing about the the the, 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 the the, the, the unfortunate protection of the BJP MLEs who were recently accused of rapes, of rapes by the government has resulted in the impunity that the rape is carried out. Mm, mm. The anchors, of, you know, some of the anchors of the Indian channels, I'm talking about the TV channels, yes. uh, I have to say are weak. And the reason why I'm saying they are weak is that, you know, it gives us a, a impression that they are either influenced by the ruling party, or at times it is clear that uh, they, they, they are leaning towards the BSP, BJP and RSS. Mm. Mm. But there may be reasons, you know, but there may be threats on them as well, you see. Mm. The RSS, which is like the Brutabon, you know, the Brutabon of South Africa, mm-hmm. if not worse, you know, are the mm. people who are through the BJP, Actually, ruling India. The BJP is not ruling India. The RSS is ruling India. Mm. And the RSS, you know, very clearly were the people that were involved in the death of Gandhi. Well, interesting points you raised there, Mr. D. Singh. Thanks very much for your call. I think that's definitely fodder for us to discuss. To discuss, uh, I think let's just um, take that take that those very points forward, Dr. Chaturvedi. And b- before we go back to uh, Dr. Kapoor from Safety, um, you know, and, and from what Mr. Singh is telling us there, um, you know, there seems to be a framework within this ideology of Hindu nationalism that. Um, places Dalit communities, you know, uh, which is, you know, of course, could form minorities, uh, Dalit communities and, and other such minorities under great threat. Your thoughts on this? Because I think when you when, when you try to understand that it's not just one community that is being targeted uh, with regard to, um, you know, unfair discrimination. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have to thank Mr. Singh and he raised many important points which are very relevant for this history. So, uh, yes, it is important to absolutely understand that the ruling party, Bharatiya Janata Party or BJP, 
has very, very close ties with uh, the Rashtri Swayam Sevak Sangh or the RSS. The RSS uh, comes up in 1925. Uh, it comes up uh, as, an, as an idea almost, I think, it's very, you know, you can call it uh, a notion of Hindu supremacy. This is the way perhaps we talk about uh, white supremacy in some contexts. Uh, it comes up as an idea saying India is for uh, for the nation of, of for Hindus alone. That is primarily a, uh, a nation for Hindus. Its own interpretation of Hinduism is also drawing a, lo- a lot more from so-called upper caste uh, practices and cultural ideas, which means that it is constantly trying to homogenize the idea of what Hinduism is supposed to be. Mm. Uh, and it is also a very militant and aggressive group, which uh, which is constantly stigmatizing other groups, uh, other minorities. So they, their understanding, they get their uh, self-pride or they gain their ideas of Hindu identity by belittling others. And very frighteningly, some of the founders of RSS were also admirers of Mussolini, of Franco, of Hitler. Mm-hmm. And these, I'm not just sort of making this up because uh, mm-hmm. one of the key figures of Hindu nationalism, Emil Kalwalkar, writes a book called We Are Nationhood Defined, where he talks about how he gets inspiration from German National Socialism yeah. and the Nazi parties and says that Hindu, Hindu, India is firstly a Hindu nation. Hindu here means what they think of what Hinduism is. And hence, you know, subsequently everybody must live according to the way we want them to live. Yeah, but I think I want to then, uh, you know, I wonder what it is like for the community, the broader community of India um, when, you know, responding and relating to such an ideology and, su- and such um, movements being put forward, one gets the sense that, you know, the, the people of India, and when I say people, I mean on the ground or grassroots people, there's a bit more of a liberal vein flowing through them. And, 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 and I say this because if you look at the way they've taken to the streets, Hindu, Muslim, whatever religion you can possibly conjure up, they're all outraged about what happened to this eight-year-old girl. Yes, uh, yeah, you are you're very right, and I think uh, India is thankfully, uh, you know, has diversity of ways of being, diversity of ways of thinking, and acting. And uh, for a long time, you know, we have been, we have, we do have secularism as part of our uh, constitution, where every religion, every uh, group should be treated equally. Uh, a figure like Gandhi, Mr. Singh spoke about Gandhi. Absolutely, his assassination has, was carried out by uh, Nathuram Godse in 1948. Uh, it was carried, Nathuram Godse himself was a one-time member of the RSS and then subsequently joined what is called the Hindu Mahasabha, which mm-hmm. is also a precursor of the Bhartiya Janata Party or the BJP. Uh, he, saw, he thought Gandhi was uh, too soft on, on Muslims. And he saw this as an act that he was doing uh, to perpetuate the idea of India as a Hindu nation. Uh, that, you know, it, the Gandhi's assassination lost the Hindu nationalist ideology, you know, many supporters. At that point in time, you know, people were really appalled by the ideology and its, and its leaders. So it took them a long period of time to come back. It was not, as I said, it was not until the 1980s or the late 1970s that the that the ideology once again sort of starts to gather supporters. Now, people have lived, as you rightly say, you know, they've lived for thousands of years together as different kinds of communities, and they continue to do so. But it's not to say that, you know, there's always peace and quiet and, you know, not to romanticize life. There is, of course, conflict, uh, which has emerged repeatedly. What is frightening is when a particular group decides that you know, they do believe in certain forms of supremacist or majoritarian thinking. And then uh, then they try to acquire power on the basis of it. And then, you know, they, and then they carry out high uh, levels of social mobilization and political life mobilization, creating divisions between communities. Yeah. You know, Dr. Uh, Dr. Creating Dr. the politics of fear. Yes, I, yeah. want, I want to understand this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make a link here, and, 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 and I wonder if, 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 you know, it's a correct one. If you look at it within the South African um, structure, you know, a great fragmentation for South Africa has been apartheid. And today, if you, um, you know, if you 
incite issues of racism, if you do um, partake in racist act, it is very easy to polarize a South Africa that has made gains against apartheid and against racism. In that same vein, when you have an India which comes from partition, a separation which formed India and Pakistan, you have a political... Um, a political tension between those two nuclear rivals as we know it when you have an issue like this how is it likely to manifest on the ground and polarize um, mm. you know communities in India yeah yeah uh, that's what so you know as the virtual correspondent is describing that there are people from multiple groups different sectors of life different kinds of religious uh, groups as well who come together to protest against this uh, terrible cruel rape. Uh, at the same time, unfortunately, every time something like this happens, there are people who say that, you know, like in Jammu, for instance, they said Hindus are being victimized. These Muslims have, you know, done why. Or, uh, or who sort of raise a certain kind of politics of fear and say, well, you know, they deserve this. So, there's, so this kind, and that, that too happens. So in it's just like you know, recently you've had a situation where uh, that's being uh, this this incident is actually being once again being used to create polarizations between uh, between Hindu and Muslim communities to raise the prospect of as if you know uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, as if Muslims are are out to get us and we you know need to need to arm yeah. ourselves yeah. against. Yeah. You know, I'm going to ask you a romantic question now, and it's almost utopic, and, and it's populist even. Dr. Chaturvedi, just indulge me. Hasn't, hasn't you know, hasn't India, India come quite far now to still be holding on to these kinds of polarization issues? I mean, I, you know, uh, growing up, like, I think uh, I grew up in India, and uh, we've always sort of, we never thought that we would see this day. Uh, you know, when when these kinds of attacks have happened uh, against Muslim minorities, uh, it's, it's a very deep, like, it's a deeply felt sadness. Uh, all of us grew up in, uh, in believing in secularism while recognizing its weaknesses and so on. Um, many of us, thousands and millions of Indians grew up in all communities like that. So I think what happened since 2014 has to be, I think we have to take this recognize the forces that contribute to emergence of a, of a political party and, and everything that we can to counter, uh, counter, counter their growth. Mm. I do also want to apologize to you on, on the break in the line. Sometimes we will try and sort that out with Dr. Chaturvedi. But yes, Dr. Ruchi Chaturvedi, uh, Dr. Ruchi Chaturvedi, who's joining me from uh, UCTS, professor, senior lecturer in sociology there. We were talking about a conversation I had with Shruti Kapoor, the founder of Safety, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, an advocacy group against sexual violence in India. Coming back to what you and I just spoke about a short while ago, this issue of rape being a tool of oppression, be it social oppression or political oppression, with its roots in patriarchy to exert power over a vulnerable communi uh, community in this space. I think we also refer to it as being um, female, being vulnerable to the system of patriarchy. Let's listen to what uh, Dr. Shruti Kapoor has to tell us about the issue of sexual oppression being um, used as a political tool. What is your concern about the way sexual violence is used as a form of oppression? There has been discussion that this tragedy of the eight-year-old girl was intended to attack a particular community. Using rape um, as a weapon of war or using it for political gains um, or for communal violence um, or using sexual violence has been a strategy that has often been used in various countries, not just India. Uh, we know this is very prevalent in Africa. We know this is very prevalent in a lot of war-torn countries where women and girls are the most affected um, whenever there is political unrest, whenever there is a war. Um, they are the ones who are raped, sexually abused, and harassed most often. Uh, it is extremely unfortunate that women and girls bear the majority of um, this brunt and uh, are constantly um, faced with this threat of sexual abuse and violence and 
but this is not something new um as in the case of asifa there have been reports that this rape was incited uh was a communal strategy um to incite unrest and you know build fear amongst us a particular um section of the society a particular community of the society to drive them away from that region um this is a horrible um strategy which unfortunately has been used um for decades and even for centuries and if you if you go back to our hindu mythology um women and girls have always been um used as tools to further their uh, for men to further their political ambitions have always their lives uh, women and girls lives and safety has always been at, on stake um and i think it is high time that we start asking for more answers we demanding answers and we put an end to this because it is by doing so we are signaling that a uh, gender equality is still not a reality that we as a society are putting more value on men versus women that we do not value enough the lives of women and girls uh by putting them at risk and be that um you know women and girls are nothing but a tool which can be manipulated by men for their personal gains and and i think we need to change that message messaging not only in the indian society but around the world so i think dr chaturvedi when you when you listen to an analysis like that and and you take into con- into account our conversation thus far it's a two pronged approach then against the women and the vulnerable female of of india you have a political ideology that is being um slowly you know implemented and then you have this issue where there are about 40000 rape cases unsolved you know when statistics tell us that um there's been about a 60% rise since i think 2013 in rape cases um it's a two sided evil then for the female of india yeah yeah uh, i think you know and and thank you for playing that clip from uh, from dr shruti uh, i couldn't agree with her more uh, it's absolutely like you're pointing out uh, it's a two two pronged sort of attack uh, india unfortunately has has very notorious reputations uh in terms of the ways it treats girl child uh in terms of forms of you know everyday uh small acts of violence sexual harassment to more heinous reported cases uh of rape and so on and uh and if uh, you know and and like dr shruti was saying that uh women have often been used and not just in times of civil war or high intensity wars etc etc but in what might seem like peaceful times so uh india has uh indian army also you know unfortunately has a has a bad track record here uh from since in 2004 uh, in manipur uh, there's one of the one of the only of, of many such cases uh where manorama amanipuri women was was attacked uh, and raped by indian army soldiers these things have also happened in kashmir uh and of course these cases are ongoing and have you know had different forms uh, some have led to convictions some have not um uh, so when you when you uh, like you're saying when you put these two things together minority communities under attack either from uh from the state or from uh from a majoritarian party or a supremacist uh political formation we're in a very difficult you know place and in 2002 as as most of your listeners probably know uh the indian state of gujarat saw a terrible program where close to 1000 people mostly of the minority muslim community were were killed and uh one of the cases that we had at that time is of Bilkisano who was uh similarly you know <laughs> was was raped uh as a you know she was seven months pregnant and uh yeah the, the levels of violence are just as are incredibly grotesque and horrible and every you know political party political leaders and that's when we see things when he invoked the present prime minister and you know we have to make them accountable so just as the present prime minister he was then at that time in 2002 the chief minister of gujarat uh you know he should be held accountable 
there are no you know criminal charges or anything those the courts have dismissed, but what is the level of moral culpability? Uh, that's that's precisely it. That's precisely it. The levels of moral, you know, your moral compass. Where, where, how does it go? I mean, if we are, you know, discussing this within its, uh, you know, political manifestation, and of course you're citing examples there that has shocked the world. I mean, 2002, many can't even, um, you know, that, as you said, that hasn't been effectively even dealt with. But when you look at the nature of these incidents of oppression, of sexual oppression in India, whether, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, within that political space or not, it is getting quite violent. It is, I mean, you're citing a case there where a pregnant woman was raped. We have a child who was raped here now. Um, we always come back to the case of uh, Dr. Jyoti, I think Dr. Jyoti Singh, who was raped on that bus in Delhi. Um, also begs the question of the social aspect of it. What is creating this um, emboldenedness in the man of India to perpetuate this kind of act? Yeah, you, I think uh, I think that's where questions of uh, of in terms of masculinity, the forms of uh, very violent masculinities and aggressive masculinities. Which, uh, which are just generally pervasive, but then which also get a certain kind of a sanction or legitimacy, uh, not just like a social legitimacy from, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a more diffuse sense of the word, but a political legitimacy from political movements and, uh, and their leaders. So uh, I think this question of like, you know, when, when aggressive masculinity gets a certain kind of uh, legitimacy, it's... Uh, you know, women are fair game, as you know. Begs the question of legislation, which we did speak to Dr. Shruti Kapoor about, and we'll be hearing from her in a short while about that. want to go quickly to our social media, and then we will also be able to dissect some of that. Um, got a message coming through from uh, Shireen. Whether it's India or South Africa, women are not respected. And I would like to know, after four months, how did these guys get caught? And will this child get justice? And I think, Shireen, as we were indicating, there are about 40,000 uh, case, such cases in India with, which is still waiting investigation and justice. So I think that's a very important question to be raising. Fazila gives us a quest, uh, um, yeah, a point, and she says, what I want to say is probably not for radio, it isn't, Fazila. So I'll try and paraphrase. Why is a man more important and much more respected than a woman when it's a woman that gives life to a man? That's from Fazila in Johannesburg. And an interesting point coming through from Anonymous. I'm proud to be part of our democracy in South Africa. This incident has always been a part of culture in India, but has been hidden from the media. The abuse of women has been prevalent and continues in India. It is only now that civil groups are taking up these issues. This, coupled with the caste system, inherent racism and the inequality has led to large-scale human rights abuses. I hope this is a lesson to many callers who extol the virtues of India without, taking, without talking about social ills. That's from Anonymous and um, Yanu calls through. Hi, Taresh, you, well, that's kind of you, Yanu. You always pick out very sensitive and well-researched programs. I would like to know what awareness does Bollywood create? You know, Yanu, you hit the nail on the head. That is a point I've got that I've spoken to um, Dr. Shruti Kapoor about, the role Bollywood plays, uh, plays. And I'm going to play that specifically just for you, Yanu, in a short while. But let's move on to our conversation now. It's Newsbreak Talk. We're about to wrap it up, and we are going to talk about legislation and some in initiatives going forward to address this kind of sexual violence against women from a political space. So yes, we are discussing this rape of an, of an 80-year-old girl in India and we're looking at the social and political constructs of this and, and that's largely been the, um, I think, the motive as our correspondent Hirana Sen reported to us for this heinous act. I did make contact with Dr. Shruti Kapoor. She's the founder of Safety and um, Sexual Violence anti-sexual violence NGO in India. We spoke about legislation because we understand that um, there was a great deal of criticism against Prime Minister, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi for um, not speaking out too much against this case. When he did speak out, he said a rape should not be um, politicized. A rape is a rape. And then we understand that um, 
you know, cabinet had met and of, uh, and new legislation has, has uh, legislation has rather been amended. So offenders who rape girls under 12 may now be subjected to the death penalty in India. And this is according to an ordinance passed by India's cabinet at the weekend. So we spoke to Shruti Kapoor, Dr. Shruti Kapoor, about this from safety. What is legislation doing to curb the problem? Now, we've just had movement in the Indian cabinet to amend the Protection of Children from Sexual Offences Act, basically imposing a death sentence here on the culprit. What are your thoughts on how the Indian government has tried to address rape and sexual violence of women in India? Uh, not much has changed at the ground level. Um, India last year reported about 40,000 rape cases. These are the official statistics. Um, these are all the cases that were reported. Uh, however, there are a number of cases that uh, go unreported every day. So the um, the actual statistics probably are much higher. Um, girls and women um, do live in, um, in a constant state of fear for their safety. They make lifestyle adjustments. For example, um, you know, don't go out late at night, or don't wear um, a particular dress, or, or or don't dress in a particular way so that it attracts attention. Uh, we as a society really do a bad job at not believing the victims of sexual violence by blaming them, by somehow believing and holding them accountable uh, for any um, incidences that they have uh, sexual abuse incidences that they have incurred in their life we don't talk openly there is no concept of consent culture um, in the Indian society um, we don't teach our boys to not rape we are constantly telling our girls uh, to not get raped but what about teaching our boys to not rape what about teaching our boys to start respecting girls and women very early on at a young age i think um, the indian education system needs an overhaul which uh, so that it stops perpetuating gender stereotypes from a very young age so that it it, it spreads the message that uh, both girls and boys are equal in all respects and that they must be um, respected that a no really means a no so when it comes to sexual abuse and, and violence in india it's rampant um, it is uh, it's prevalent like um, i like i mentioned there is no fear in the mind of a perpetrator Dr. Shruti Kapoor, founder of Safety. Interesting point there, Dr. Chaturvedi, she raises. We teach our girls not to get raped. We tell them to behave in a certain way and cover up so that they don't get attention. But we don't teach our boys not to rape. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, Dr. Shruti and, and Louise were raising very important points here. Uh, like you said, uh, you know, just to first begin with this question of the government's response, uh, and immediately sort of invoking uh, the possibility of, uh, of death penalty. I mean, uh, my personal view is that uh, these are, you know, death penalty is just sort of a spectacular way of uh, saying, yes, we, we are yeah, trying we to care. do something. Yeah, we care. Yeah, we care. How Whereas, do you enforce you know, it, though? No, I mean, if we had uh, gender sensitization amongst our police, People, if we had gender sensitization amongst our uh, judges and lawyers, uh, if we had good reporting of our cases, and then the broader gender sensitization in society, we would not need uh, the death penalty to, you know, I don't think death penalty, you know, there are enough, there's enough evidence to show that it's not really a uh, deterrent for, for crime. Uh, it's, it's, it's a way of, yeah. of just shrugging off responsibility Absolutely. and pretending that you're I think uh, running out of time, I just want to talk to you sure. about one more thing before we play that last bit from Dr. Kapoor because it, it is intervention and, and, and the roles that we play to change this. Just a very quick one and if you could be brief on this, in terms of uh, looking at uh, you know the ideology of Hindu nationalism, um, where are where is the female placed? in the power hierarchy of, of a concept like Hindu nationalism, which is, you know, largely being blamed for the reason that this child was raped. Yeah, I think Hindu nationalism participates very strongly in what Dr. Shruti was describing, where uh, women are blamed for, for the violence done against them. We've had, uh, it's not just Hindu nationalists, it's, it's, you know, many others as well, but uh, the, the, the two ministers from BJP who were trying to shield uh, the culprits in this case tells us a lot about where Hindu nationalism places women. 
Um, it is mm. a far more vicious form of patriarchy than we broadly see in society. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, Dr. Chaturvedi, we thank you so much for your uh, information that you've provided and I think this understanding of this political and social concept of it. Thank you very much for your time and we hope to, to maintain this link with you. Yeah, I'm also very good talking to you. Thanks so much, Dr. Chaturvedi. Well, on that note, as we've said goodbye to Dr. Chaturvedi, let's, um, I think Yano did ask about the role that Bollywood plays with regard to this. I spoke to, to Shruti Kapoor, the founder of Safety, to find out going forward, you know, what do you do to address issues like this? And these are some of her recommendations. Going forward, what are your societal recommendations for change in order to stop rape and sexual violence against women? So the first is to realize that gender-based violence is a problem that not only affects women, but it affects us all directly or indi indirectly. And the solution to this global pandemic is that we come together as a society, as a community, and address it together. So uh, for the government, there needs to be greater accountability. There needs to be uh, faster action when it comes to women and girls' safety. Uh, which means investing in the resources and infrastructure required for women and girls' safety, um, having a zero-tolerance policy within your party, sacking all leaders who are uh, in violation of this zero-tolerance policy. Um, for the private sector, you know, they can invest in technological solutions towards women and girls' safety. They can create safer workspaces for women and girls. They can invest their money in building greater infrastructure for women and girls' safety. Um, they can ensure gender equality through gender pay. So that's what the private sector influencers can do. Um, Bollywood is a big influencer in within the Indian community, in our society, and Bollywood is constantly perpetuating gender stereotypes, uh, is objectifying women, and I think they need to change that messaging because they are influencing millions of people so show better, show better movies, portray women and girls in better light. The same is true for our media that is constantly objectifying women. Um, the media has a responsibility to give facts to, to our people and not, um, not just, you know, sensationalize news and incidences which um, bring their TRPs higher. And again, uh, stop the objectification of women through your serials, through your messaging, through your news, um, because you are, through your messaging, influencing millions of people um, across nations. Yes, and that was Dr. Shruti Kapoor, the founder of Safety. She went on to speak about the way we raise our children and the way we provide the societal norm to society that also needs to be addressed. Well, I think we'll have to wrap up our conversation. It came your way courtesy of the team executive producers Salma Patel, Rachel Vadi and Hafsa Mkhize. We shall be back between 6 and 7 to bring you more cutting-edge current affairs. So from me, Tareesh, hey, have an awesome day.